Hey, Connect family. Happy Labor Day weekend, huh? For a lot of us, it's a day off or a weekend off from some of our labors, huh? Not for this pastor, though, huh? You know, hopefully you guys are all getting on the beach. You know, here's what I have had happen to me for one of our services. I had guys coming up to me on their phones showing me pictures of big fish they had caught on the Cape this weekend. Anybody here fishermen? Wow. Wow. The three of you that just raised your hands, go to the first service and you'll feel more at home, apparently. And, and who's, who here is a golfer? Chase a little white ball around? What do you all do on your spare time? Bar barbecue, apparently. Barbecue. Who barbecues? All right, there we go. It's Labor Day weekend. So great to have all of you here. Hey, can we say hi to our Framingham campus, our online viewers? So great to have you guys all with us today. All right, all right. It's super to have you guys here. You know, the, uh, we're going to dive right in because we've got so much ground to cover. The title of my message today is, I know it's wrong, but I want to do it anyway. <laughs> Ever fall in that category? I know it's wrong, but I want to do it anyway. Yeah, everybody's not sure whether to raise their hand or not. They're looking at their spouse next to them and saying, um, yeah, look that way. Yeah. No, um, I know it's wrong, but I want to do it anyway. Hey, that's life for us, isn't it? It's life. Seriously, as Christian believers, isn't that life for us? There's stuff I want to do, even though it's wrong, and I don't know what to do, how to navigate through it. So here's the great thing. Jesus is going to help us navigate this, this feeling that we have inside and does it in a super powerful way. And I've been studying this. And so I've been a Christian believer since I was 18 years old. And I'm 19 now. <laughs> and and I, it got to unpack some stuff for me. These couple weeks I was studying this, so it's super exciting. I hope it's, it was really helpful for me. I think it's going to be helpful for you. So we're going to launch right into this here with the magic of the, of the touch screen, our big idea. And that is, willpower is not the most powerful way to overcome temptation. You're saying, what? Well, I thought it was. Just try harder. Just make sure I don't do this. Just don't do that. Willpower is important, and it's biblical. But there is something even more powerful that can help you overcome temptation, not fall to temptation. If so if I say not fall to temptation or overcome temptation, or if I say, if I say fall to temptation, therefore that's the same thing as sin, okay? So we just want to make sure that we can use these terms interchangeably. But we're going to look at a passage that helps unpack this for us, which is super clear. It's from Luke chapter 4. This is New Testament. Luke is one of the Gospels, the story of Jesus, unpacks Jesus' life for us. And this description is happening immediately after Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. You'll see the reference to Jordan. So that's what happens right afterwards. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. I bet. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. Liar. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. 
They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So the, our message today is, I know it's wrong, but I want to do it anyway. And so really what we know we're doing is we're talking about temptation. And we know because it's wrong, it's sinful. If the message, if we're thinking, well, I think this is right, but I want to do it anyway, then you're thinking about like eating your broccoli or flossing or being polite. Those are good things. You're not being tempted to do those good things. You, you should just do them. That's not temptation. If you came to church this morning, you're thinking, I want to come in for a feel-good message. It's Labor Day. Let's have a feel-good message today. Wrong church. No, no. Um, no. <laughs> This is not a feel-good message, but I think you're going to leave and feel amazingly equipped by what Jesus unpacks for us. So that you say, I hope you're saying, this is really great. I never realized that Jesus did this. And it's going to be super helpful for me as I move forward in my life. So you can see from your message notes, here's the flow that we're going to have. I'm going to unpack for us six principles of temptation. And then we're going to look at two primary categories about how we can fight against falling to temptation. And Jesus is going to unpack this for us in a fresh and powerful way that I think is really awesome, okay? So that's where we're going to go. It's going to be a lot of scripture, and I think it'll unpack for us well. Six principles of temptation. And you could come up with some more. It's not just the only six, but these are logical ones. The first is that temptations are attractive, and they offer for us short-term benefits. It is not wrong to be a Christian believer and think that temptation is attractive. Like, be real, that's what's tempting about it, right? Whoa, I want this thing. Look at, look at her. Look at this object. I want this. That is the nature of temptation. That it looks good or tastes good. And there's at least short-term benefits from it. If we do this thing, then we're going to reap the rewards of what it is we think we're pursuing. That is the nature of temptation. You know, listen, there's a reason that people gamble. They want some easy money, right? There's a reason that guys look at porn you know, the women are perfect, and they've all been photoshopped into perfection. And ladies, you're not off the hook, because data tells us now that women look at porn just as much as guys do, amazingly enough, in, the, in our digital world today. So there's a reason that we do this stuff, because there is this attractiveness to it. And Scripture even lets us know this and confirms it for us. From Proverbs chapter 9, in the, in the Old Testament, read the Old Testament, it's awesome. From Proverbs chapter 9, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. That's what temptation is. And look at this other one from Genesis chapter 3. Before we go with this. So this is, the setting is Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. And Eve is being tempted by the serpent, by the devil. And remember, God has told Adam and Eve, you can have anything you want here in the garden, except you can't eat from the fruit from the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat that fruit, but anything else is yours. And so... It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree, this is the tree she's not allowed to eat from. Whoops. The magic of two fingers goes backward. Fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Temptation is attractive. Scripture reminds us of that. It is attractive. Don't feel like you're somehow being sinful by being attracted to something that's wrong. The question is how you're going to respond to it. So that's our first principle about temptation. Second principle, calling something, by calling something a temptation, we are admitting, in fact, 
that it's wrong. Because it is wrong. If it was right, we wouldn't have to call it a temptation. Look what Scripture says. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I can take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. It is bad when we're being tempted to do something, when we're feeling tempted, this thing that we're considering doing is in fact bad in God's sight and therefore it should be in ours too. The third principle for temptation is this. You're not going to like this. We typically have a choice about whether we say yes or no to temptation. We typically have a choice. So can we all be adults and agree on this? You know, saying things like, yeah, but you don't understand my situation or you don't understand what happened to me, it's not relevant. That's not a, a satisfactory excuse, is it? We still have a choice. <laughs> Parents, you don't let your kids get away with that. Yeah, but dad, you don't understand. No, I trust me, I understand, right? <laughs> and so we, as adults, we don't get to pull that excuse card out of our pockets either. Check out these couple verses that point to it from Ephesians in the New Testament. You were taught, you were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self. Choose to not do that. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Put on the new self. That's a choice. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And as others out of Hebrews, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we've got lots of good examples. Let us throw off. Let us choose not to everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We have a choice about whether we are going to succumb to temptation or not. The fourth principle, which is really amazing, I think, is that the bigger the attraction of the temptation, the bigger the negative consequence. Yeah, if I just do this one thing, then I'll get it. Then I'll be sad. Yeah, that one big thing, dang, there are big consequences associated with it. There was a seminary student at Phoenix Seminary who put together a list of the consequences if he had an affair. And he called this 100, consequ 100 consequences of adultery. Wow, a lot of consequences. And so from that, I pulled a dozen of them just to show you a, 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 little, a little taste of the depth of the consequences that are associated with big temptations, right? The first four were about him. My relationship with God would suffer from a break in fellowship. Secondly, I would need to seek forgiveness from my Lord for what I had done. I would suffer emotional consequences and guilt about this thing. Here, there was this short-term attraction, but... He was going to suffer afterwards. For I would spend countless hours replaying my failure. Then the list shifts over the implications and consequences that of his actions onto other people. My wife would suffer the scars of this abuse more deeply than I could begin to describe. My wife would spend countless hours in counseling. My wife's recovery would be long and painful. Her pain would grieve me so deeply and it would compound my own suffering and shame. Rebound back to me again, he said. 
our relationship would suffer a break in trust and fellowship and intimacy. We would be together, yet we would feel a new loneliness. The reputation of my family would suffer loss. And lastly, my sons would be deeply disappointed and bewildered. There are negative consequences to what we do. Take a look at this fifth one here. We can often anticipate or predict temptation. We can predict it. Look, take a look at this in our, in our main passage for today. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He knew he wasn't going on a scavenger hunt or to a Red Sox game, right? Or to the Jerusalem Bombers game, right? He knew what he was headed for. There was something coming on. Now, listen, I understand there situations can arise that are seemingly spontaneous for us. We come walking in and there's a $100 bill sitting on the table. Nobody around, but hold on. Do you see? But that's spontaneous. I didn't expect that thing to happen. I could have never seen that thing coming. Yeah, I would disagree. You presumably have decided long ago that you're not going to be a thief. So something is not yours, you're not going to take. And you've decided that beforehand because you've anticipated, in reality, stuff happens. You've watched other people. Like, listen, I know stuff happens. Uh, the number of times my kids have said, yeah, yeah, but dad, look. It's like, no, you know it's wrong. Well, we anticipate this. We, as we grow in our maturity, as an adult, as a Christian believer, we anticipate things and we make preparations for them, don't we? Listen, I know, because it's in Massachusetts, that there's a Dunkin' Donuts selling fat pills around every corner here, right? It's like, I got to decide, am I going to stop there or not? Luckily, I don't like coffee, so it helps. But we have these things. So consider this. In Genesis chapter 39, if you don't read the Old Testament, you are so missing out. Read Genesis. The stories that unpack and show us God's character is amazing. But there's this guy by the name of Joseph. The Israelites are in captivity, and he's risen to prominence, though, because of amazing, his amazing service and the character God's given him. He's the number three man in all of Egypt, helping to oversee things. And his boss is a guy named Potiphar. Joseph is handsome. He's good-looking, and Potiphar's wife is aware of this. Watch what she does. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, notice, this is not a one-time thing, is it? Day after she's nagging at him, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Uh-oh. Do you think he anticipated that this might happen sometime? Sometime I'm going to show up and I'm going to be alone with her. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house naked. He was running away. He knew it's going to happen at some point in time, wasn't it? He was going to end up in the house with her alone. We know that temptations are going to come his way. And listen, Jesus was tempted for 40 days by the devil in the wilderness. You cannot say, and I cannot say, yeah, but you don't understand how I've been tempted. No, Jesus was tempted here. We're here, right? There's not an excuse that sits there for us like, oh, I never would have seen this one coming. 
What did Solomon say? There's nothing new under the sun. The 7 billion other people on our crowded planet, they've all been tempted in the same ways that we have, so it's not new for us, okay? Here's our sixth and final principle, and this is super huge, super huge for the rest of our message. The temptations target our three core weaknesses. We all share, actually, core weaknesses, and we see it played out for us in the Bible. Throughout the, the course of the Bible, we see this play out for us, and Jesus is going to unpack this for us in our cool verses that we read in the beginning. Let's look at what they are. Hedonism. You want it for your body. I want this thing inside me. I want to eat it. I want to experience it. I want to live it. I want to whatever it. Second, materialism. You want to own it or control it. You deserve it. I just need that thing, and then I'll be all set. And then lastly, oh, a little too fast here. Pride. I am really important. Yeah, but you don't understand. Like, I think I should get to deserve to do this. I think, look, you don't understand who I am. We struggle with all this stuff. Those three areas are the core areas of our temptation. And Scripture unpacks this for us, and I want to show you this in a couple different positions. Look at this. So back to Eve in the garden. This conversation with Satan we just looked at. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And Adam follows along behind her. In the New Testament, John, the great apostle, he's writing to Christian believers. He says to them, hey, listen, watch this. Watch what's going to come your way. For everything in the world, everything, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life doesn't come from the Father. It comes from the world. There, the three core weaknesses laid out for us right there. It's all going to be in this. Everything that we experience is temptations, and we all experience them, right? What are we going to do about them? Well, they're going to be in these three areas that are going to, and, and, and each one of us, I believe, has an area that we are weaker in than another. It's just the way we are. And so we look, so what's the result then? We can look with pride, oh, not me, at this person who struggles with this thing. He's like, I'm better than that. I don't struggle with gambling because I don't, I don't struggle with gambling. Thank, thank the Lord that I don't. But, you know, I struggle with something else. You know what I mean? It's all, it's all a temptation. It sits out there for us. It's in one of these three areas for us. And so our, our primary passage is going to unpack this for us in super cool ways you, don't, you won't believe. But there are two categories for how we respond to temptation. And one, our good friend, willpower. It's okay. I just do it by my willpower, Right? Because it's what you've always done is what I've always done too. I'm just going to be strong. I'm going to say no. I'm going to run out of the house like Joseph. So here's what I want to do. And listen, a lot of these things, the way that we fight against temptation by our willpower is biblical. It's good. It makes sense. Joseph did right there. He fled the scene because if he didn't, he was going to, now he's standing naked in front of this beautiful woman. He's got to make a decision here. He's got to get out of Dodge. So I'm going to give you 15 quick quick areas where you can exercise your willpower, and you could probably make 50 more on the list, ways that you can exercise your willpower, okay? Number one, avoid settings. Even if it's embarrassing, that's what Joseph did. I got to get out of here. Number two, you can get rid of some friendships or relationships that regularly drag you down. And you may know the people in your life that I'm talking about. Every time I get together with him or her, it's like, Something goes wrong. The wheels come off somehow. It's like, well, 
Stop hanging with that person then, right? If they're dragging you down, it's like, you're an adult. I'm an adult. Like, we got to stop doing this. Uh, the, 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 the counter to that on the flip side, on the upside is get in a Connect group. Get in a group here at Connect. You know, if you've never been in a Connect group here, or if you were in another church before you came here, and you were never in a small group there, you don't know what you're missing out on. Because the power of being in a small group, in a positive setting, with godly people who want to encourage you and nurture and be your friend and help you out, and actually answer the phone when you call with a problem, it's so amazingly powerful in your life. Here at Connect, we think Connect groups are one of the foundations to a successful Christian walk. And we're just about to start our new semester here. You know, we do our small groups on a, on a semester basis here. And we call them, our, our philosophy is free market. We're actually less uh, concerned about the topic that a group is studying and more concerned about the relationships that you can develop out of this. Well, we, we review the topic, so it's not, nothing's crazy going to happen. But if you want to if you want to go golfing or you want to go fishing, you can be in a group, or, or, or you want to do a Bible study, it's all great because you're going to be developing relationships. And so today is the deadline. If you're thinking to yourself, I want to lead a small group this semester. I've always thought about doing it. You have until midnight tonight on your device, go onto our website and sign up to lead a small group. And I can be in contact with your pastor, Chris, we'll make some details. But today's a deadline for leading one of our fall semester small groups. A week from today... All the groups being offered are going to be live online, so you can start signing up for them. It's going to be our, uh, um, and so it's all going to be sitting there, and we'll pass out the directory. Two weeks from now is the day they start. It's going to be our sign-up Sunday. We're going to have the Snappy Dogs hot dog truck here in Ashland, Framingham. You're going to have a food truck online. Go to your fridge. But you'll, <laughs> but, but so two weeks from now, groups start, and so make sure that you get yourself in a group. So... Uh, the other list on my 15 are not going to be nearly this long. Trust me. Um, alter the patterns of your life. If you're driving home from work or school or whatever, and there's a store or a something that you drive by that has a negative magnetic pull on you, well, don't drive that way home then. Say, I got to be an adult here, and I'm going to take a different way home because that's a, that is a powerful temptation. I need to avoid it. Um, place filters on your computers. Set up your phone to limit the amount of screen time you get. Get rid of your satellite dish or drop your package so all you get is the weather channel, you know? <laughs> if, you have, if you struggle with being um, snippy and negative with your words during the day, well, start every day reading some certain scriptures that seed something different into your mind. Um, sign up. You know, there's a million and one online devotionals that you can get emailed to you every single day. Well, so sign up for one of them and actually read it when it comes into your inbox. No, don't go to the grocery store on an empty stomach. If you're overspending, cut up your credit cards and operate on cash for a period of time. Um, if you've had something terrible go on in your life and there's not a connect group here that helps you out, well, join a support group or a recovery group. Have some people help you. Uh, get a coach or a one-on-one -on -one mentor or something like that to help, to help nurture you along. Like that, like that seminary student did, if there's something that you're struggling with, I keep wanting to do this thing. I know it's bad, but I want to do it anyway. Make a list of the consequences associated with that and tape it to your bathroom mirror. 
And since I trust that you're brushing your teeth at least twice a day, then twice a day you're going to see this list of things that you're not, that, you, that, that are a reminder of why I don't want to do this thing. And here's the last one. Set priorities and goals for your future rather than just floating around. If you are rudderless, how do you know what to say yes and no to? But if you're no, I'm heading this way. That's outside, that's outside. I, I know to say no, to, maybe a struggle, but I know to say no to that, right? So set some priorities and goals for yourself for your future. So these are, all, these are all good, and most of them are very biblical, or at least the principles are biblical, about our willpower and exercising our willpower. And I'm not joking. Up until about two weeks ago, that's all I ever understood to do in the face of temptation. And likely many of you the same thing. But God unpacks something else for us that Jesus says is even more powerful. Notice, when he's tempted by the devil, he doesn't just, he never says, I'm not going to do it because it's wrong. He doesn't say that, does he? But he's answering, and there must be something super powerful in there for us. And so that's what we're going to look at next here. So our first category of how we, how we stand strong against temptation is by our willpower. The second is by this, by being close to Jesus. And don't take that as like, Oh, like puppies and butterflies, I'll just, okay, I'll just be close to Jesus. No, there's something really specific that's built into this that will be really helpful for you, okay? And I said this, there are three areas of core weakness in our life. When Jesus is on the cross, he experiences all of them. In each of them, there's something super productive that he's going to explain to us. The first temptation that Jesus faced was, want it for your body. I want this thing for my body. And here's Jesus' temptation. So our passage was out of Luke. Let me hold up. Don't read ahead yet. Don't read ahead. So our passage was in Luke, what I read off the screen there. And it says, Jesus, it says, the devil said to Jesus, if you were the son of God, let tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Well, it's like on fruits and vegetables too? I mean, so what, what do we do with this? Man shall not live on bread alone. Now, this whole story is described for us also in the Gospel of Matthew. So that i got to check this out because the wording may not be the same. It doesn't mean it's wrong. I talked to two of you tell me a story that you, that you something you witnessed. Your descriptions are going to be different. You're going to give me different details. So that's what we see in the Gospels. Described a couple times, extra details. So look, let's so here, we're back to Matthew already. Jesus answered, it's a Matthew version. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. That was in Luke, an add-on. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, that, that's interesting. What, but what does that mean? Does that mean scripture? I started wondering about what that question was. And then I paused and I thought to myself, Jesus answered, it is written. Well, where is it written? What's he quoting? If I could answer those two questions, it might help me to unpack what Jesus is getting at here. And we know that Jesus is always quoting Scripture, right? And, and so let me give a little tangent, a little interruption to where we're going here. If you are a super faithful attender of Connect, if you attend here every single Sunday of the year, 52 Sundays of the year, you're here more often than I am because I get a couple weeks vacation, I might be gone or something, right? But if you're every Sunday, 52 Sundays, raise your hand if that's you. I didn't expect any of you. Yeah, one, one person. Thank you so much. We all need to learn from her. No, no. 52 Sundays, 
there's 365 days of the year. That means you are being fed by a pastor, intentionally coming around other Christian believers, 14% of your year. 14%. The other 86% is on you. You're responsible for feeding and nurturing yourself, listening to podcasts, reading your Bible, praying, pondering stuff. 86% of the time, you're not here. And so you got to, and so we have to take charge of this as Christian believers. And if you're not a Christian believer today, you're here to think, yeah, because why? The pursuit of God is super important in our lives. It makes a difference. And so, so I hit this thing. I think I've got to slow myself down. It is written. What's this mean? And I should stop and ponder it rather than blasting through it because I want to just get this thing read. So now my Bible here, this is my study Bible, the, the uh, NIV knife, uh, new, what was it? The Life Application Study Bible. I love this thing so much. If you don't have a study Bible, I'm not quite sure why, because there's all sorts of notes in here, geographic notes and little questions and Bible references and footnotes and stuff like that. So when I go here, I read this verse. I look back carefully. It's like, oh, there was a footnote, a number going to the bottom, and it references the Old Testament verse that Jesus is quoting here. And I thought to myself, yeah, not everybody has a study Bible, although they should. And so I thought, well, what about on version? So I went to version, which I hardly ever use, went to this verse, and Jesus' words are in red, and there's a little number there. Actually, no, there were like three little dots with a circle. It looked like bubbles. And I pushed on it. I didn't know what to do. I pushed on it, and it pops up a verse reference for me. The same verse reference that my Bible said. It wasn't a hyperlink. I tried pushing on it. It didn't pop me to that verse. I have to go there on my own. I thought, okay, this is just fun. We're on a little rabbit trail here that Jesus is going down. So let's see what it is that Jesus brings us to. Hold on. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Here we go. Brings us to Deuteronomy chapter 8. It was Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 that Jesus quoted. So... Because we're overachievers, we want to get a little bit about the context, right? So we'll read four verses. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to, to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which is cool, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you, here's Jesus, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. So what's it tell us? What's Jesus telling us? He's saying, Hold on here. So your clothes never wore out, which was miraculous, 40 years. What's to give you all these other blessings, give you the land? What's he saying here? What's he saying? God's ready to provide all of your needs. This temptation you're feeling, step in closer. Jesus will fill your need. He'll fill this void that you have, this conviction that you need this thing to be whole, to be sound, to be satisfied is wrong. He's saying, step in closer to me and I will fill this need for you. Here's the thing. 
God gives us these guardrails of life. You know, we, we often, so, so oftentimes think that, that God is a downer. He just says, no, no, no. That is a wrong perspective. Here's what God says. Here are the guardrails of life, and they're pretty wide. Operate in this. Live inside these guardrails, and it will go well with you. Go outside the guardrail, and you're going off the cliff. Problems are going to be, consequences are going to be there. Stay inside the guardrails so I can bless you so that it will be good. Saying, step in close to me. Listen, let me bless you. Just step in close. You might say, yeah. You might say, yeah, but I don't understand. You don't understand my situation. No, I do. Jesus was tempted for 40 days here. You, you don't get to make an excuse like this. He wants to enrich your life and make you feel whole, give you this deep and abiding satisfaction and joy. You got to be close to him. So that's the first thing he says. That's okay. That's all from the first temptation. The second temptation that Jesus goes through is this thing about materialism. You want to own it. You think you deserve it. This last item. If I just have this last item, I'll be all set in life. Here's what Jesus goes through with Satan. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus is quoting something, isn't he? So with our whatever, we hyperlink or whatever we go, and we... We were in Deuteronomy 8 for the first reference from Jesus. Now we're in Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. And because we're overachievers, we'll look at a couple extra verses. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. And his anger will burn against you. And he will destroy you from the face of the land. Whoa. What's this? Let's go back here. Not wanting them to go. It's okay. I will give you all authority and splendor. That's what, G, that's what Satan is offering. But the text reads, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Only do this with him. Don't follow other gods, for the Lord your God is a jealous God as anger burns against you. Here's what you're thinking right now, but hold on a minute. Isn't God just love and kumbaya? I put my faith in Jesus Christ a long time ago. I believe that Jesus is God. He died on a cross for me, taking all the punishment of my sins upon himself, and I acknowledged him. I said, Jesus, please forgive me. I turn my life over to you. So is it a case of Whenever I mess up, I, I just say, Jesus, please forgive me, and I'm all set. Isn't it sort of like a get-out-of-jail-free card? Is that sort of what it's like? Well, no, apparently not. Because we're also faced with the reality that in addition to God's love and His grace and His mercy, He is holy and just and perfect. His righteousness is perfect. Thankful. Thank God that God is consistent and perfect and unchanging, right? He will never, it's not like, we never say, wow, I saw that one coming out there. I thought, I thought this was a rule and today God changed it. He never changes the rules. So here's the thing. Because of God's character, he must respond when I sin, right? 
it has to affect something. One of my kids does something, it changes our relationship a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, Dad, but you don't understand. I, I do understand. I'm an adult here. God, he knows there's no excuse that's valid that we can offer him. And so my sinfulness cracks into this relationship that I have with God. I don't want that to happen. But that's what Jesus is saying, what happens. When we get into this materialism thing, saying, whoa, this, this, this thing, this object, it's the most important thing to me right now. Jesus is saying, well, if you come in closer and think about the fact that this is a, God's a jealous God, I don't want to reduce the quality of my relationship with God by succumbing to this. I don't want to reduce my ability to see God or to hear his voice or to feel his leadership and guidance in my life. That stuff is way more important than a new fishing rod, you know, right? Or something that seems really glitzy and glamorous. It's like lurking over there. My, uh, uh, no, no, no. Uh, my life is too important to me. I, I want to be walking with God. No, no. I want to feel like God's walking with me. This week as I was preparing this, and like I, was, I found myself tempted on some stuff, I'm not joking. Those thoughts were way stronger in helping me to avoid temptation, to not say yes temptation, than my willpower. L like light years difference. Light years difference. And I've got pretty good willpower, but it's like, whoa, it was a different level. So let's go to the third one here. Temptation of three, you are really important. You are really great. And so because of that, you deserve this because you're so great. We are whacked, aren't we? No. So, so here's, a, so here's the, the third temptation. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you were the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, we're going to go there, right? He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Because you, now you've become like super, super reference people, right? You immediately say, oh, I got to check it out. And you find this in Deuteronomy 6.16. So you're going to add a couple of verses because you're superstars and you read this. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa, where they complain against God. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that whenever you see a so that or a therefore in the Bible, pay attention to it, okay? Do what is right and good in the Lord's eyes so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. So what's this telling us here? When we go out, what's Jesus saying here? When we go outside the guardrails, we're going in some way that I can't define for you, some amount I can't define. We're going out from under God's protection. We're going off on our own. And you know instinctively that that's true, don't you? And we see it tons of Bible characters. And you can look at around the lives of people you know. And you say, oh, dang, they are out from under God's protection. I don't want that. This thing that I thought I was so 
hot and full of myself here, I would way rather be in and under God's protection and have that thing. At some level, how we deal with temptation is a reflection of our relationship with God. Some level, it's a reflection of the, the love that we have for Jesus. He wants to share the burden of the temptations that we feel. He wants to help protect us from that. And the closer we are to him, the more we're protected. The closer we are, the richer it is. The closer we are, the easier it is to bear it because we're in close to him. Our enemy will, will, will tempt you. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. He wants to drag us down. He's looking for a crack in your armor. He wants to come in and mess up your life. My favorite verse in the Bible, John 10, 10. The first part of it, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus doesn't say, the thief comes to scratch your car and give you the snuffles. No, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's what he's trying to, that's what that temptation is trying to lead you for. And we read lots of Bible stories where a person does this and then they hide it. They do this. And you've seen this, right? There's this domino effect of trying to hide all this stuff before that leads to destruction. You know, God wants to give us profound pleasure. That's who God is. He's a, he's a pleasure-giving God. C.S. Lewis, in his amazing book, The Screwtape Letters, summarized it this way. He says, Any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form is from God. Any pleasure in its healthy, normal, satisfying form is from God. Satan then tries to get us to manipulate that into unhealthy and weird ways to wreck us. God wants to bring so much pleasure into our lives. Think about this. God wants you to have ama an amazing sex life within your marriage. He wants you to love the complexity and diversity of food in this world, but don't be a glutton. Right? God's happy to have you rich. The Bible is full of stories about rich people, but we understand we can have a problem when we start holding our money above our relationship. We start trusting our money. So we got to sure we have to be careful of that. You want excitement in your life? Go skydiving. <laughs> no. Go skydiving or, or lead a ministry or start a business or run for public office or do something. God has so much blessing and fun and creativity and pleasure that he wants you to have in your life but he wants you to live inside the guardrails. And we know we've got an enemy trying to mess us up. So what do we have to do? Do we don't operate on our willpower? That's fine. But step in close where we're under his protection, where our, where our sinfulness is not going to cause a, a, a separation, the quality of our relationship, and where there's blessing. Does that make sense? It's a powerful, powerful thing that Jesus unpacks for us in his word because that's who God is. So as we wrap up, I'm going to do two things. One, I'm just going to pray for all of you that, that you would, this would, that, that what Jesus taught us here would infuse into your mind and your spirit. Say, that's, I'll say the next time, I'm just going to remember this stuff about Jesus. I'm going to step in closer when I feel temptation. And I want to get, and I'm going to also give an opportunity for anybody here who is not or online. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, let me remind you what that means. You're saying, I believe Jesus is God. I know I messed up. I've done all sorts of bad things. The Bible calls that sin. That sin creates a separation between me and God. But Jesus died on the cross to pay the punishment for my sin. I want to ask him to forgive my sin and turn and live his way. 
That's what it means to become a Christian believer. You do it in your heart, and you express it with your mouth. So let me just bow your head and close your eyes. I just want to pray a blessing over you that God would protect you. Heavenly Father, I pray for all the people within the sound of my voice right now, Lord. I pray that you would protect them. Lord, I pray that you would give them strength to withstand temptation. Lord, I, feel that, I pray that they would feel a tug to come closer to you when they f- see or feel temptation in front of them or coming their way. Lord, I pray you would protect them from temptation. Lord, let them be under, under your protection, Lord. Let them be under your guidance and let them hear your voice and let them know and experience the blessing of living close to you. And while every head is still bowed and eyes are closed, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're ready to do that for the first time, you're ready for a seismic shift in your life and for eternity, where you're going to spend, guaranteed to spend eternity with God in heaven and have him walk through with you in this life. If you're ready to do that right now, and why on earth would you not do it now if you never have? If that's you, stick up your hand right now. Stick up your hand right now. Say, Jesus, I want you in my life. I want you to guide me. I want you to guard me. I want you to be with you. I want to be assured of my salvation. Thank you. Is anybody else? Anybody else just raise your hand? Yes, I see your hand, sir. And is there anybody else? Yes. Great. I see your hand there with very back. Let's just all join together and pray because the, the Bible tells us that the angels in heaven are rejoicing because of us. So let's all pray together with those folks who just raised their hand. Dear Jesus, I know you're God. Please, please forgive my sins. I know they're wrong. Help me to live your way, not mine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.